Welcome to Next Stop, Sarda's podcast where we learn all things Sarda and about transit. Today, we're going to be talking about how Sarda does things with clean energy. We have Kurt Conrad, our CEO, with us. Glad so to be here. Thanks be sure to follow us. us on all of our social media channels at sardaonline.com, as well as on our YouTube channel at Ride Sarda. Kurt, can you tell us a little bit more about your vision and some of the things Sarda's done or is looking to do as it relates to clean energy? Yes, I can. Can you please do it now? Oh, I just wanted to, <laughs> it was a general question. If I could if you do have it. the ability. Uh, you want my vision? Actually, it's going to, I'm going to have to go back. Okay. To start on my clean energy journey, which started long ago in a transit system far away. <clears throat> <laughs> it was, it was not that far. It was in Akron. So the year was 2005. It was a spring day. And there's a gentleman that came to Akron to speak at the Akron City Club. His name was Stan Evshinsky. Stan was a graduate of Akron Bookdale High School in 1947. So, yes, this guy was really old. He actually helped invent dirt. And um, (laughs) he had a patent on dirt. But Stan... He was named Scientist of the Century by Scientist Magazine, and he had 140 patents to his own name, including he invented the writable CD-ROM, the batteries is your cell phone, a lot of other different things. He invented the first solar panel that could be used as a roof shingle on your house. So he invented a lot of different things. And he had come up with the idea of a renewable energy cycle where you could take photovoltaic cells solar panels and create energy from that. And then you could split the water molecule into hydrogen and oxygen. And from that, you could take the the hydrogen and put it into a fuel cell like we do our buses. And then that byproduct is water. So basically what you have is an entire circle, energy circle that uses renewable energy that goes from water to water with no side effects. And I looked at that, I'm thinking... Why aren't we as a society doing things with renewable energy, with using power that comes from the sun? Because if you take, I've seen some numbers and it's something like this. If we take the amount of of energy that hits the earth, um, we could displace every other source of energy used if we could capture it. And that's just using existing solar technology. And so we got down this path of getting to a zero-based energy cycle of a renewable energy cycle and really of using that energy cycle to propel vehicles it was nothing why are we doing this this is we should be doing this and when i came to sarda we we at that point in time had four battery electric four diesel electric hybrid vehicles and we did work with stark state and some other ones and actually looked at the efficiency of that engine and that stuff at that point, we decided to look at natural gas because natural gas has less of a CO2 in particulate output because when diesel, bur- or diesel burns, you see all the soot and dust and smoke come out of the vehicle, and whereas natural gas doesn't really have any of that. To get really nerdy, natural gas molecule only has four carbon molecule or four carbon atoms with it versus diesel has 18 
it's do my math here, care of the <laughs> one. That's a lot more. And even just by moving to natural gas, it has a significantly lower CO2 in what they call particulate or basically dust or dirt output. And so we've been going down that line now since 2010, I do believe. And at this point in time, between the hydrogen vehicles and the CNG vehicles, we basically have nearly zeroed out our diesel fleet. We do have a few that straggle around for backup and that kind of stuff. But basically, we've moved away from diesel as a fuel that propels propels our vehicles. That kind of was the start of it. And then we moved into where we finally were able to get some hydrogen vehicles, fuel cell vehicles, and we have 21 of those now. Okay, wait, can I stop you? Hold on oh, one second. Yes. Oh. Did did you ride in a car with Senator Brown? Yes, actually, we didn't kidnap him or anything. <laughs> but it was actually when he was a state representative, and he actually came to town when Stan Oshinsky was there and he had his first fuel cell car. Yeah, so the senator and I and the representative were tooling around town in in a Stan's car. So it was actually a com- converted uh, Prius that used hydrogen to propel it. So that was the first time that then representative and Senator Brown rode in a hydrogen vehicle. So yes, I was um, the one that introduced him to that technology and and he uh, continues to remind me of that uh, <laughs> uh, to until this day. So, yeah, we actually did that. Um, but Senator Brown actually has been a big supporter of us over the years. Um, he's the head of the, and the Senate committee that actually writes the transit appropriations. So they're very well involved with no-low grants and there's various other things that we do get funded. The one thing you don't really think about is that, yeah, we moved all this way into decarbonization and that stuff. Right now, since the passage of the infrastructure bill and the the Inflation Reduction Act, there's more money that's going towards decarbonization and and that stuff. And it's almost like somebody made a reference that there's like gold bars falling out of the ceiling right now. But when we first started our our program, when you say that we were doing drips and drabs and in putting it together, we, we really were cobbling our program together to start with. Back in the old days, before everything was easy like it is now, we got a phone call from the Federal Transit Administration said, Cleveland doesn't want their fuel cell bus. Do you guys want it? We're like, okay, we'll take it. And then we found out Chicago didn't want theirs. We're like, okay, we'll take it. And then Boston didn't want theirs anymore. And then we got another bus literally given to us from the University of Alabama. And so it's kind of like, I felt like it was like the old life cereal. Give it to Kurt. He likes it. (laughs) (laughs) Or we were like the island of misfit toys. So we put this all together, ones and twos. But we put our station together for growth. And that kind of put us on this pathway we're on now. And interestingly, now we've got... 21 fuel cell vehicles. So we've got five of the first hydrogen fuel cell paratransit vehicles in the country. And then we're looking at um, getting two other types of vehicles. Uh, one will be uh, a, a, a full battery electric vehicle, uh, two of those um, to serve the, the, the route that goes to Cleveland. Because we have a route that goes to um, 
uh, Wade Park three times a day. And in, in, in the main re- reason is to take vets to, to the VA hospital up there. And we've been doing this service now in conjunction with the Stark County Veterans Service Commission for about 10 years now. But we've been serving that route with a, a, a typical 40-foot transit bus, which has, you know, hard plastic seats and that stuff. And it's something that, you know, a lot of the vets are older and that kind of stuff. And they're sitting on those for, you know, over an hour. And it's just not a comfortable ride. So we've been looking at some over-the-road kind of coach um, that we could use like a Greyhound bus, but we really hadn't p- seen a piece of equipment that we liked. Did you find something oh, you liked? Actually we, we did. <laughs> we, we found something else that we liked. It was an over the road coach. So is that more like a luxurious type? Luxurious. luxurious yes. Type it's it's type got them. Um, yeah. It has a uh, massagers. And, um, <laughs> so if you could imagine, it's basically like a Greyhound bus. Okay. Um, but they call this a low floor version of it and it's battery electric. So almost all of the luggage compartment below is batteries. And so early in my career, when I worked at a transit system far away in another galaxy, we used express route buses like the Greyhound buses to go to Cleveland. But to get the wheelchair ramp out, they really designed it. It was a scary design because the, the lift actually was in the luggage compartment. And so you had to get this lift out and then bring it all the way up. And it felt like it was like 85 feet in the air. And they've redesigned it now. So there's actually like a lower compartment where there's a ramp that comes in and you can put wheelchairs and that kind of stuff in it now. And so that reconfiguration of that bus is something I felt was what we could use on that long distance trip. We applied and got two, two buses funded through competitive grants, it's called No and Low Emissions, to get two electric over-the-road coaches, MCI buses. And so we're upgrading the building in our electrical infrastructure to allow that those charging vehicles. And the interesting thing about being on the cutting edge like this, we want everybody wants to go to zero emissions or go to environmentally friendly, but it's awfully hard when you can't buy a vehicle to do it. And so it's, I want to do zero. I want to do hydrogen, but I can't buy a hydrogen over the road coach until 26 or 27. And so that's always the problem with us is that our stuff has long lead times, long cycle times, and a lot of planning go into it. And when you can't buy a vehicle that you'd want to in the market, you just have to wait or find something that you know, we prefer to go hydrogen, but we just can't find anything that's zero emission in that type of platform. Can Can I ask you a question? How? Yes. I guess it's more of a statement. I didn't realize that the electric buses. Yeah, this bus could probably go 150 plus miles. But the thing is, at least in my opinion, if you look at people see Tesla and Elon Musk and all that stuff and but they don't really hear a lot about hydrogen. But there is an advantage. So both technologies have it's an advantage for a specific use case. Batteries are probably better for your own individual car or like an Amazon vehicle that runs around and maybe it does a, less than 150 miles in a day. 
your own, your, you think about it, your own personal car probably sits and waits on you for 16 plus hours a day. And so charging that and where you don't have a time sensitive, is it a problem? But where it starts to become problems, if you have a long duty cycle, like our buses can be out 12, 16 hours a day. And really you don't have the time to recharge them and it take, it could take up to four hours to recharge a bus. So in that case, school buses or peak hour demand vehicles, like, like we're talking about here, going to Cleveland makes sense because you can, you have time to come back to the garage and recharge them. So that's what we're looking at. And you have to evaluate your use case of what you're going to do. It's just not as easy as moving away from natural gas or diesel. Yeah. Think about diesel. It's old technology. It's very efficient. You you can go down to the, the Napa to get a part. If you want to measure how much diesel's in your tank, you just put a stick in it and see how wet it is and measure it. So it's an easy, known technology. And anything is going to be more complicated than sticking a stick in something and measuring it. That's always, I think, one of the challenges is moving to these vehicles is just that in, in increased complication. Yeah. So I know you've talked a lot about the different vehicles and things that we have, but I know yeah. we're also in other spaces just to help with hydrogen. I know you're like on different boards, committees and things like that. Like how are you and SARTA impacting the hydrogen space as a whole? Well, let me, so one of the things, and I, I don't know if I men, mentioned this before, but you know, we're doing all this for decarbonization, ultimately, just try to impact climate change, try to impact national security, all that nice stuff. But so we've been working with the World Economic Forum, which you may have heard of. They're based in Davos, Switzerland, and they have a meeting every year that all the presidents and Bill Gates and all that go to. I didn't go to that meeting, but some <laughs> of those people that were, we've been working with them on putting together what they call decarbonization clusters around the world. And they want to try to get a hundred of them. And one of them was designated basically in the Ohio Valley corridor, the high river corridor, basically Pittsburgh, Cleveland, West Virginia in that area. I, I didn't realize this until we started down this path, but Ohio, the high river Valley has the highest levels of CO2 emissions in the country. More than California, more than New York. We know they talk a lot in Texas, but we even have more hot air released here than they do in the cowboy hat state. We've been participating in that forum. Speaking, I was in, I went to Antwerp, Belgium, where we were participating with them. We've had people as far away from New Zealand visit SARTA to see our fuel cell vehicles. Just even today, I'm getting emails from people, Toyota in Japan and in, in Hyundai in South Korea. And so I'm starting, you know, that looks different in, in Korean than it does in Japanese. <laughs> yeah, so we literally have reach across the world. We even had some phone calls of us wanting to introduce Tanzania and Africa to American bus manufacturers that they wanted zero emission vehicles. So, yeah, I guess it's for 
for a hydrogen good time, call Kurt. My number's everywhere. <laughs> Next week, I'm going to Texas. This week in Columbus talking. Last month, I was in Anaheim. Yeah, so it seems like I, me and uh, Taylor Swift are t- touring the country. <laughs> I think her tickets are... Her tickets might be a little more expensive. I think they're slightly higher. Yeah, a little bit. You were talking about when you were first introduced to hydrogen fuel cell, when Mm -hmm. you worked at that transit far away. What made you decide that hydrogen fuel cell was better than some of these other, I've heard of propane and some of these other things. Like why is hydrogen fuel cell kind of the one you said, this is the best one in my opinion for what we're trying to do in comparison to some of the other ones. So I have this whole thing that's worked out that I call it my hydrogen humor. Okay. And, <laughs> and you know that on the atomic chart, hydrogen's number one. No. So that's the whole reason why everything else is number two, three, four, and five. So we've decided to go after number one to start with. No, in a, in a more serious note, propane, natural gas, all those gases are better than diesel or another pet- petroleum. Um, product, but it still has NOx, nitrous oxide, sulfur, sulfuric acid, or sulfuric oxide, uh, and it still has a CO2 emissions, where hydrogen has none of that. Okay. If you are actually able to do hydrogen from a green source, renewable energy, and then make it, then the consumption, it, the entire circle is green. The interesting thing that's starting to happen now is there's discussions about who's the greenest. Do you generate electricity and then put it into batteries? Do you generate electricity and make hydrogen? So there's actually, I just got off a phone call where the IRS right now is trying to make rules that came out of in the infrastructure bill. I think it was the, anyway, one of those bills. And the green people are arguing with each other. Like, what is the greenest and how do we do this? And why don't we just put it into here? And so, it's, it's, and sometimes I think that, that some people, like we want to get to the, to Mecca or Shangri-La on day one. And sometimes good enough gets in the way of, of, of perfect. It's almost like we can't be good enough, but we have to be perfect. And that's some of the things we're starting to see a little bit is that some people will say, yeah, the natural gas or the, the the hydrogen we use now is what they call gray hydrogen, which means it comes from natural gas, and they take um, the, car- uh, this, the carbon molecules, atoms off uh, natural gas, and they use that. And it's, well, that's just, you know, you're, that's not green enough. It's greener than we were. Just in those vehicles, we have saved um, 1,700 tons of CO2 release has been saved because of that. Now we can do better. There's no question about that, but that also starts getting into equipment. It starts getting into how you produce it. So there's just all kinds of decisions that have to be made that you just can't get to the finish line directly from the starting line. If you're going to go 26 miles for a marathon, you have to go 26 (laughs) miles for a marathon. You just don't, you just don't step up and there you go. And I think some of that discussion is some of the things that, we have seen happen that sometimes the incremental change isn't good enough, but yet that's the way we have to do it because not the money isn't our federal government may, may not think so, but it's not unlimited, it, and people have to take time. So that's why even with us, I can't control everything else, but I can control the vehicles we buy, 
and what they look like and how they're used. And, and the rest of it's just, we need to do the best we can. Yeah. So I do have a question. What other things are we doing with clean energy? Do you mean the company or the idea? <laughs> now, the reason <laughs> I, I, I kind of say that is clean energy actually is the one that maintains our CNG compressors for us. But yeah, one of the things we've been looking at, and you probably heard this with climate change and that kind of stuff, is, is redundancy and in, in backup power. So if the grid goes down, what do you do? And I know they see it. It was really a big thing in New Orleans when, when all that happened down there. The power goes out, which is if the grid goes down, you can stay, still stay up. So you're not necessarily separated from the grid, but yet you have your own independent power source. And so that looks at like combining solar panels, that's combining micro turbines, that's combining energy storage on your, your, your facility. And that's something we've been working towards as we've redone our switch gear and various things internally. So the, the kind of the concept that I've had is that we have solar panels on our building if you could imagine up down state route 30 the solar panels and all that feeding back into an electrolyzer that would then store hydrogen during the the day so to speak when it's sunny out and so at night what you could do with it is take that hydrogen feed it back through the fuel cell and then create electricity so really what the hydrogen acts in that space is like a battery it's just it's energy storage. And so what we want to try to do is during the day, create energy and then store it and then use it off peak for ourselves. So that we would end up being our own kind of like microgrid or Island. <laughs> so there's been times we've went down, we've lost power. Our things will go down. And really for the, our riders that depend upon us, if our phones go down our we can't fuel vehicles, they don't go to the doctor, they don't go to work, they don't go to anything else like this. So really what this is trying to do is insulate our operations to continue operations if something does happen, that we can continue pulling out, we can continue dispatching, we can do all that by using that energy storage that's stored in hydrogen. It's a lot of information. <laughs> the idea, though, is that hydrogen is the key element for decarbonization, for energy storage, and for humanity to, to move forward with. And all the rest of the world has to do is just follow what we have done at SARDA, and we will be a successful world and country. <laughs> That's the moral of the story. That moral is the moral of the story. Of the story. <laughs> just well, do what we do, and everything will be fine. I want to thank you so much for coming on. Oh, sure. As always, it's a good time when you're on here. So thank you so much. Sure, not a problem. Not a yeah, problem. thank you so much. We talk about this all the time and I've had multiple conversations with you, but I learned a lot of new stuff that I just didn't know about the past and some of the other things we're doing. So it was informative to me. I think it's going to be um, really informative for our listeners and our viewers. So thank you so much for coming on. Sure. We really appreciate it. I just want to thank you again, Kurt. Really a pleasure. So that's our show. Join us next time on Next Stop. <laughs>